Chapter Six of Unknown to History by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. The Bewitched Whistle. A child's point of view is so different from that of a grown person that the discovery did not make half so much difference to Cis as her adopted parents expected. In fact, it was like a dream to her. She found her daily life and her surroundings the same, and her chief interest was, at least apparently, how soon she could escape from Salter and Seam to play with little Ned, and look out for the elder boys returning, or watch for the Scottish Queen taking her daily ride. Once, prompted by Antony, Cis had made a beautiful nosegay of lilies, and held it up to the Queen when she rode in at the gate on her return from Buxton. She had been rewarded by the sweetest of smiles, but Captain Talbot had said it must never happen again, or he should be accused of letting billets pass in posies. The whole place was pervaded, in fact, by an atmosphere of suspicion, and the vigilance, which might have been endurable for a few months, was wearing the spirits and temper of all concerned, now that it had already lasted for seven or eight years, and there seemed no end to it. Moreover, in spite of all care, it every now and then became apparent that Queen Mary had some communication with the outer world which no one could trace, though the effects endangered the life of Queen Elizabeth, the peace of the kingdom, and the existence of the English church. The blame always fell upon Lord Shrewsbury, and who could wonder that he was becoming capriciously suspicious and soured in temper, so that even such faithful kinsmen as Richard Talbot could sometimes hardly bear with him, and became punctiliously anxious that there should not be the smallest loophole for censure of the conduct of himself and his family. The person on whom Master Goatley's visit had left the most impression seemed to be Humphrey. On the one hand, his father's words had made him enter into his situation of trust and loyalty, and perceive something of the constant sacrifice of self to duty that it required, and, on the other hand, he had assumed a position towards Cis of which he, in some degree, felt the force. There was nothing in the opinions of the time to render their semi-betrothal ridiculous. At the manor-house itself, Gilbert Talbot and Mary Cavendish had been married when no older than he was. Half their contemporaries were already plighted, and the only difference was that in the present harassing state of surveillance in which every one lived, the parents thought that to avow the secret so long kept might bring about inquiry and suspicion, and they therefore wished it to be guarded until the marriage could be contracted. As Cis developed, she had looks and tones which so curiously harmonized, now with the Scotch, now with the French element in the royal captive's suite, and which made Captain Richard believe that she must belong to some of the families who seemed amphibious between the two courts. And her identification as a Seton, a Fleming, a Beauton, or as a member of any of the families attached to the losing cause, would only involve her in exile and disgrace. Besides, there was every reason to think her an orphan, and a distant kinsman was scarcely likely to give her such a home as she had at Bridgefield, where she had always been looked on as a daughter, and was now regarded as doubly their own in right of their son. So Humphrey was permitted to consider her as peculiarly his own, and he exerted this right of property by a certain jealousy of Antony Babington, which amused his parents and teased the young lady." nor was he wholly actuated by the jealousy of proprietorship, for he knew the devotion with which Antony regarded Queen Mary and did not wholly trust him. His sense of honour and duty to his father's trust was one thing, Antony's knight-errantry to the beautiful captive was another. Each boy thought himself strictly honourable, while they moved in parallel lines and could not understand one another. 
yet with the reserve of childhood all that passed between them was a secret till one afternoon when loud angry sounds and suppressed sobs attracted mistress susan to the garden where she found cis crying bitterly and little dickon staring eagerly while a pitched battle was going on between her eldest son and young antony babington who were pommelling each other too furiously to perceive her approach boys boys fie for shame she cried with a hand on the shoulder of each and they stood apart at her touch though still fiercely looking at one another see what spectacles you have made of yourselves she continued is this your treatment of your guest humphrey how is my lord's page to show himself at chatsworth to-morrow with such an eye what is it all about both combatants eyed each other in sullen silence tell me sis tell me dickon i will know or you shall have the rod as well as humphrey dickon who was still in the era of timidity instead of secretiveness spoke out he indicating his brother wanted the packet what packet exclaimed the mother alarmed the packet that he another nod towards antony wanted sis to give that witch in case she came while he is at chatsworth it was the dog whistle said sis it hath no sound in it and antony would have me change it for him because huckster tibbet may not come within the gates i did not want to do so i fear tibbet and when humphrey found me crying he fell on antony so blame him not mother if humphrey is a jealous churl and sis a little fool there's no help for it said antony disdainfully turning his back on his late adversary then let me take charge of this whistle said the lady moved by the universal habit of caution but antony sprang hastily to intercept her as she was taking from the little girl a small paper packet tied round with coloured yarn but he was not in time and could only exclaim nay nay madam i will not trouble you it is nothing master babington said susan firmly you know as well as i do that no packet may pass out of the park unopened if you wish to have the whistle changed you should have brought it uncovered i am sorry for the discourtesy and ask your pardon but this parcel may not pass then said antony with difficulty repressing something much more passionate and disrespectful let me have it again nay master babington that would not suit with my duty the boy altogether lost his temper duty duty he cried i am sick of the word all it means is a mere feigned excuse for prying and spying and besetting the most beautiful and unhappy princess in the world for her true faith and true right master antony babington said susan gravely you had better take care what you are about if those words of yours had been spoken in my lord's hearing they would bring you worse than the rod or bread and water what care i what i suffer for such a queen exclaimed antony suffering is a different matter from saying what care i returned the lady as i fear you will learn master antony oh mother sweet mother said cis you will not tell of him but mother shook her head prithee dear mother added humphrey seeing no relenting in her countenance i did but mean to hinder cis from being maltreated and a go-between in this traffic with the old witch not to bring tony into trouble his face is a tale-tale humphrey said susan i meant ere now to have put a piece of beef on it come in antony and let me wash it thank you madam i need nothing here said antony stalking proudly off while humphrey exclaiming don't go tony mother no one would care to ask what we had given one another black eyes for in a friendly way tried to hold him back and he did linger when cis added her persuasions to him not to return the spectacle he was at the present 
"'If this lady will promise not to betray an unfortunate queen,' he said, as if permission to deal with his bruises were a great reward. "'Oh, you foolish boy!' exclaimed Mistress Talbot. "'You were never meant for a plotter. You have yourself betrayed that you are her messenger.' "'And I am not ashamed of it,' said Antony, holding his head high. "'Madam, madam, if you have surprised this from me, you are more the bound not to betray her. Think, lady, if you were shut up from your children and friends, would you not seek to send tidings to them?' child child heaven knows i am not blaming the poor lady within there i am only thinking what is right well said antony somewhat hopefully if that be all give me back the packet or tear it up if you will and there can be no harm done oh do so sweet mother entreated cis earnestly he will never bid me go to tibbet again ay said humphrey then no tales will be told for even he with all his trustworthiness or indeed because of it, could not bear to bring a comrade to disgrace. But the dilemma was put an end to by the sudden appearance on the scene of Captain Richard himself, demanding the cause of the disturbance, and whether his sons had been misbehaving to their guest. "'Dear sweet father, do not ask,' entreated Cis, springing to him and taking his hand, as she was privileged to do. "'Mother has come, and it is all made up and over now.' Richard Talbot, however, had seen the packet which his wife was holding, and her anxious, perplexed countenance, and the perilous atmosphere of suspicion around him made it incumbent on him to turn to her and say, "'What means this, mother? Is it as Cis would have me believe, a mere childish quarrel that I may pass over? Or what is this packet?' "'Master Babington saith it is a dog-whistle, which he was leaving in charge with Cis to exchange for another, with Huxtress Tibbet,' she answered." feel nay open it and see if it be not sir cried antony i doubt not that so it is said the captain but you know master babington that it is the duty of all here in charge to let no package pass the gate which has not been viewed by my lord's officers then sir i will take it back again said antony with a vain attempt at making his brow frank and clear instead of answering captain talbot took the knife from his girdle and cut in twain the yarn that bound the packet there was no doubt about the whistle being there, nor was there anything written on the wrapper, but perhaps the anxiety in Antony's eye, or even the old association with boatswains, incited Mr. Talbot to put the whistle to his lips. Not a sound would come forth. He looked in and saw what led him to blow with all his force when a white roll of paper protruded, and on another blast fell out into his hand. He held it up as he found it, and looked full at Antony, who exclaimed in much agitation, to keep out the dust only to keep out the dust it is all gibberish from my old writing-books that we will see said richard very gravely mistress be pleased to give this young gentleman some water to wash his face and attend to his bruises keeping him in the guest-chamber without speech from any one until i return master babington i counsel you to submit quietly i wish and my lord will wish to spare his ward as much scandal as possible and if this be what you say it is, mere gibberish from your exercise-books, you will be quit for chastisement for a forbidden act which has brought you into suspicion. If not, it must be as my lord thinks good. Antony made no entreaties. Perhaps he trusted that what was unintelligible to himself might pass for gibberish with others. Perhaps the headache caused by Humphrey's fists was assisting to produce a state of sullen indifference after his burst of eager chivalry, at any rate, he let Mistress Talbot lead him away without resistance. The other children would have followed, but their father detained them to hear the particulars of the commission and the capture. Richard desired to know from his son whether he had any reason for suspecting underhand measures, 
and when Humphrey looked down and hesitated, added, "'On your obedience, boy, this is no slight matter.' "'You will not beat Cis, father?' said Humphrey. "'Wherefore should I beat her, save for doing errands that yonder lad should have known better than to thrust on her?' "'Nay, sir, tis not for that. But my mother said she should be beaten if ever she spake of the fortune yonder Tibbet told her, and we are sure that she—Tibbet, I mean—is a witch, and knows more than she ought. "'What meanest thou?' "'Tell me, children.' And Cis, nothing loath, since she was secured from the beating, related the augury which had left so deep an impression on her, Humphrey bearing witness that it was before they knew themselves of Cicely's history. "'But that is not all,' added Cicely, seeing Mr. Talbot less impressed than she expected by these supernatural powers of divination. "'She can change from a woman into a man.' "'In sooth!' exclaimed Richard, startled enough by this information. "'Yes, father,' said Cicely. "'Faithful Elkins, the carrier's boy, saw her in doublet and hose and a tawny cloak going along the road to Chesterfield. He knew her by the halt in her left leg.' "'Ha!' said Richard. "'And how long hast thou known this?' "'Only yestermorn,' said Cis. "'It was that which made me so much afraid to have any dealings with her.' "'She shall trouble thee no more, my little wench,' said Richard, in a tone that made Humphrey cry out joyously. "'Oh, father!' "'Sweet father, wilt thou duck her for a witch? Sink or swim, that will be rare.' "'Hush, hush, foolish lad,' said Richard. "'And thou, Cicely, take good heed that not a word of all this gets abroad. Go to thy mother, child. Nay, I am not wroth with thee, little one. Thou hast not done amiss, but bear in mind that naught is ever taken out of the park without knowledge of me or of thy mother.'" End of chapter 6 Recording by Tanika Madison, Alabama.